We're beginning a series this morning, just a two-part series uh, on the faithfulness of God. The next week we'll be looking at 2 Kings 4, but this morning Psalm 121. As you're turning there, uh, just to give you an update on my daughter Emma, she's doing well, fighting off just a little bit of an infection. She's on a, another round of antibiotics, but doing well still. Her level of alertness is good, and uh, we're just so thankful for the things that God is doing there. So thank you for your continued prayers. Psalm 121. You'll notice the prescript just before the first verse, a song of ascents. So we'll come back to that in just a moment, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Bow with me in prayer once again. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. And I pray that with confidence, knowing that you will. So my prayer is, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear you. And hearts open to receive what you are doing in our midst. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. All of us at one time or another will experience that moment where we feel like life is simply too much. We'll feel overwhelmed. Imagine with me for just a moment a scenario. This may be fictional or it may be real. I'll leave it to you to decide. Imagine a family of four. Mom, dad, two kids. Both mom and dad work, which is stress enough in and of itself. But on this particular day, the mother has, has agreed to take cupcakes to her son's school because they have, have a party going on that day. But wouldn't you know it, when she wakes up early that morning to finish the cupcakes, get them frosted so everything will be fresh, the youngest child is throwing up sick. <sighs> now I've got to juggle this. I've got work, I've got to get these cupcakes to school, and now that because the child's been sick, I've got to get a load of laundry into the washer. So when he goes to put the water, the, the laundry in the washer and turns it on, guess what happens? Nothing. The washer's broken. Because life never happens just one thing at a time, does it? Life can make you feel defeated and overwhelmed. We will all experience that at different times. The question is, what will we do in moments like that? Moments when we feel like life is unrelenting. When worry seems to get the best of us. And rather than having sweet dreams, our dreams are filled with anxiety and worry. We're not alone in that. All of us will have testimonies of times where we have felt overwhelmed. And when we look to the Word of God, we see a testimony of one here who is feeling that way. You'll notice the, the prescript, a song of ascents. What that means is that this psalm was sung on the way to worship. These are pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem to worship, and they would sing on the way. But here's the problem. The journey to Jerusalem would take them through hills and mountains. And in those hills and mountains, 
thieves and robbers would often hide out. Like wolves waiting for the sheep, they would wait for the caravan making its way to Jerusalem, and then they would pounce to steal and to kill pilgrims on their way. So here's the psalmist, and he's making his way to worship. And what does he say in verse 1? I lift up my eyes to the hills. It's a way of saying, my enemy has surrounded me, and they've got the high ground. I am overwhelmed. Now, I want to stop for just a moment for a word of practical application. I want you to finish this statement. Right now, I feel overwhelmed because of. You may need multiple blanks to fill that in. You may be like the psalmist right now, and you're saying, Lord, I look up into my hills, and I see a diagnosis of Alzheimer's for someone I love. Where does my help come from? Lord, I look around, and there's problems at home. There's no peace, and I don't know how we're going to resolve this. Where does my help come from? Maybe it's the past that has surrounded you, and there are decisions from long ago that are continuing to have a negative effect on your life, and you're asking the very same question of this, that this psalmist asked. Where does my help come from? I'm surrounded. Where is my help? Now, notice what the psalmist does in verse 2. The psalmist makes a declarative statement to answer their own doubt. My eyes are looking to the hills. I'm surrounded by, by the enemy. Where does my help come from? Who's going to help me? Who will rescue me? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He meets these fears and these doubts head on with the truth of who God is. He is our helper. That word help means one who comes to aid, one who gives guidance. It's good to know when you call a spiritual 911, it is God who answers. When you say, Lord, I can't take this anymore, it is God who is with us. My help, the psalmist says, comes from the Lord, not my strength, not my skill, not my ingenuity, not pulling myself up by my bootstraps, but calling to Him for help. And what are his credentials? He made heaven and earth. That word made is unique. Because it's a word that means to create something with no pre-existing materials. You see, it's one thing that if there were a stack of wood up here, that I would take that wood and I would construct a, a playhouse up here. But it's another thing to create the wood. That's who our God is. We need not fear because God is able to take nothing and make something out of it. Our problem is, is that we often don't want to admit our need for help. That's so contrary, though, to what the gospel says. When Paul cried out for help in 1 Corinthians 12, what did he come to realize? That in his weakness, God is made strong. And often we get this idea that God won't put any more on us than we can handle. That is not scriptural. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, We were pressed to the utmost. We thought we were going to die. There was no help. But this was to teach us to rely upon God who has the power to raise the dead. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying. The New Testament is filled with reiterations of this promise. Our help comes from the Lord. This is what we need to remind ourselves of. God is with us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Believer, do you know that if God is for you, who or what can be against you? Do you know that God has promised that he would never leave us or forsake us? 
That's when we need to keep focused on him. This is part of spiritual warfare is that when everything would distract us, we need to be focused on who God is. And the reality is there are times where we may doubt this. You see, what I have just preached is nothing new to, to most believers. We know God is our help. We know that he is with us. But it is living that in the midst of the crucible that is the test. So the three promises that we need to remind ourselves of. And these three promises flow from one word, keep. Keep is the central word of this psalm. Look, verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Look at verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Do you hear the repetition of keep? That's the central point of this. God will keep. Now, keep means to watch or guard over, to guard over, to preserve. So this is a way of saying God keeps us. In other words, God will see us through. God will preserve our walk with him. So promise number one is this. God is faithful to keep you, believer, from stumbling. Verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. Have you ever had that unnerving experience of starting to fall and realizing you're falling? And knowing there is not a thing in the world you can do to stop it. it happened to me a few weeks ago. Got a phone call from uh, my daughter's father-in-law, George Logan. George was going to be in town. And he called me up and said, Mark, the weather looks halfway decent. Let you and I go and play nine holes. Absolutely, George, you don't have to twist my arm. So George and I were on the golf course. My ball was, had gone down a little slope. And I take a step. And my foot keeps stepping and stepping and stepping. And I realize I am falling. And not only am I falling, I did a belly flop. My feet got caught underneath me as I tried to right myself, and I went right over on my belly and formed a perfect U. I was like a teeter-totter. And in that point, you know, the first thing you do is you look around. Did anybody see that? And I thought, hey, it doesn't matter. George just said, listen, if your wife tells, asks if we got in a fight, just tell her I won. You're falling, and you can't stop it. God has said spiritually, there may be times where you feel like you're hanging on by your fingernails. Lord, life's hit me hard. You've promised, but I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm doubting. Isn't it good to know that even though at times we may think I can't hold on to God, he never stops holding on to us. You see, that's the hope of the gospel. The gospel is not that I'm strong enough to keep holding on to Jesus. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus keeps holding on to me. And notice the promise in this. God will not sleep. He will not slumber. That's a jab at the pagan gods, by the way. You see, the pagan gods of this time, whether it was, was Dagon or, or Molech, they were known to take naps. That was, that was part of that. You didn't offer sacrifices a certain time because it was Dagon's nap time. In fact, that's why Elijah, in that, that great battle on Mount Carmel, the WWE of the Old Testament, when he's facing 700 prophets of Baal, and they build these huge altars, and the prophets of Baal are dancing around and cutting themselves, and nothing's happening, and Elijah starts to mock them. Hey, talk a little louder. Your God may be in the bathroom. Or, or maybe, hey, hey, if you'll dance a little more, you may wake him up. Elijah starts mocking them. Why? Their God's sleep. Our God never sleeps. He's always vigilant. This past Thursday um, was the... the um, 
I started to say, well, it was. It was a worship service, funeral service for my father-in-law, Clarence Robertson. This sounds weird, but it was a blessing being a part of that. For three hours, I stood with the family in line. It's just a steady stream of people came through, and they would stop and tell stories. One man, bless my heart to no end, he said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ today because of your dad, Jody. That's a legacy. Best friend Tommy came by. Tommy had known Clarence for, I guess, 50 years. He said, I want to tell you my favorite story of Clarence. And we were like, yes, yes, what is it, what is it? He said, Clarence and I had gone on a deep sea fishing boat in the Gulf of Mexico. And he said, I got sicker than a dog. It was my first time out on a boat. The seas weren't rough. He said, I just felt seasick. And he said, the only relief I could get was to go out on the deck in the night. And I would lay down on the deck. And that, at least the coolness of the night air, it helped me to stay a little calm instead of being confined. He said, I went up that night. I fell asleep on the deck. When I woke up, Clarence was standing next to me. Tommy said, I looked up at Clarence and said, Clarence, what are you doing? He said, I'm standing here. How long have you been standing there? All night. Why? Clarence, why did you stand there all night? Tommy, I was afraid you'd roll over and fall off the boat. So I stood here watching you so I could grab you. That's a true friend. If in our humanity we love a friend enough to say, I'll watch you all night to keep you from going overboard, how much more will God, child of God, his child, watch over you to say, I'll not let you go overboard no matter how rough the seas get, no matter how bad the storms may be. I am holding on to you. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Our struggles never catch God unaware. And he's with us. That's promise number one. Not only is he with us, promise number two is this. God is faithful to be close. Look at verses five and six. The Lord is your keeper. Now remember, keeper is the key word. I preserve you. I watch over you. And then he says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now remember, in Palestine, where the, the psalmist lived, shade was a wonderful thing. If you've ever been out working on a hot summer day in August... And you're not work, you're out in the field, the hay field, and you seek shade real quick and a nice sweet glass of tea. That's the idea. I'm your refuge. I'm the shade. Because notice what he says the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. That's a way of saying that God's protection is not only 24 hours, but he will protect us from what is seen in the sun by day. And what is unseen, the things you and I are not aware of. You see, to me, it's a reminder that not only are there physical things in this world that happen that cause us struggles, but there are also spiritual realities that seek to destroy the people of God. And I believe the Lord God himself is watching over each and every one of us that when Satan comes against us to destroy us, God says, no, you don't. Protecting us. He is with us in the darkest of nights. I read where in the Navy for years, the communication done between ships was done by flags. Forty flags each ship carried. They, the flags covered the alphabet, the numbers, and there were four special flags with which the order of the flags could communicate a message. Now, of course, today, today there's radio and, and digital equipment and things like that, but they still carry flags. And you know if a ship has to use a flag today, things are really bad 
Imagine if you were for a moment at sea by yourself. Things have gone really bad. You have no communication. So you go to the, the, the flags, you open it up, and you run some flags up the mast. You run a flag that is bright white with a red X. And you know what you're communicating? I need help. You hope someone sees it, and you wait. On the distance, you begin to see a ship coming towards you. You grab your binoculars, and you look, and sure enough, it's a ship. And you notice that it's flying flags also. It's flying a flag with a bright red diamond on a white field, followed by a flag with two triangles that are yellow and red, and then a final flag that is trapezoid with a red circle. And you smile, and you shout a shout of joy, because the ship has answered your cry for help by saying this, I will keep close to you throughout the night. That's our Lord. When we cry up in prayer, Lord, help me. He says, I will keep close to you throughout the night. I will be with you. And we have that promise because of who Jesus is. If God has sent his own son for us, we can rest assured that he will not forsake us. Hold on to that promise. Think about if you were to invest in something valuable. Suppose you had an extra $8 million laying around. And you bought a Rembrandt. After paying $8 million for a Rembrandt, would you bring that home and think, where are we going to put this? You know what? we got some room up in the attic or the garage. I just cleaned out the cat litter box a few minutes ago. We can put this out there. Would you do that with an $8 million Rembrandt? Please say no. Why? It's priceless. You've invested that money in it. So if we believe, which the truth is, God has sent his son to die for us, would he forsake us at the moment when we need him most? And the answer is no. He says, I will keep close to you during the night. God is faithful to be close. This third promise is this. He is faithful to keep our life. Verse 7 presents a little bit of a quandary. The Lord will keep you from all evil. It's difficult to understand that because we know that evil happens. Christians are martyred. A friend of mine about 15 years ago was martyred in Mauritania. We know that Christians suffer. Bad things happen. So the question is, how do we understand this statement, the Lord will keep you from all evil, He will keep your life. Remember the word keep means preserve. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to see you through. The evil, the way I understand evil, and I, in my opinion, the best definition of evil is that which is contrary to God's purpose. So when things happen in God's will, I don't understand it, but things happen that often are contrary to his purpose, God has promised us this. All things will work together for the good. So that no matter what evil, because notice the scope of it, all evil, no matter what things happen in life that we don't understand and we question, it will not take our life from God. Our life is hidden in Christ Jesus. You hear that repeated frequently in the New Testament. In Colossians, our life is hidden in Christ Jesus. What that means is that no matter what happens to us, if we suffer loss of possessions, loss of health, we never lose our life with God. That's always secure. And what happens in those times where we suffer loss, it strips us down to say what is really important. 
So our confidence in this promise is this. The Lord is at work that will keep preserve our life. Even when evil comes, even when suffering comes, he keeps our life. Not only that, he keeps our going out and our coming in. No matter where we are, what we are doing, God is faithful. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Now, the struggle is taking these truths, these three promises, that God is with us, that God will keep us, that he is our stability and living them. So I want to give you two, two things I want to encourage you to do. First is this. I want to encourage you to talk to yourself. I mean it. Notice something. Look at verses 1 and 2. Notice the first person, I lift up my eyes. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. This psalmist is talking to himself. Sometimes we need to give ourselves a good talking to. Sometimes we need to tell ourselves to be quiet. So that when these doubts begin to rise, we say to ourselves, whether it be out loud or in our minds, stop, the Lord is faithful. And we speak that truth into our own lives. We get it in our thinking and that repetition. Now, here's the second thing. We need others around us to remind us of this. Notice the change in the grammar in verses 3 through 8. All of a sudden now it shifts to second person. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 5, the Lord is your shade. Now somebody else is speaking to the psalmist. Could it be pilgrims with him? Probably. Could they be singing a song that's antiphonal where they are answering him? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Let not your foot be, foot be moved. The point is, you and I need others around us speaking these truths into us. Now, not in a condescending way, but listening to us, reminding us, gently reminding us. God will see you through. God will see you through. Perhaps the greatest anthem, and I, I say I know it's debatable, but the greatest anthem of the Christian faith, the greatest hymn, could be Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. Now, we are very familiar with the first verse, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And the last verse, when we've been there 10,000 years. But what draws me is that third verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. That's what Psalm 121 is saying. I look up into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. As we move into this invitation, we're going to be singing about God's faithfulness. It's been said that we are either going into a storm, coming out of a storm, or in the midst of a storm. And that may be describing you in one of those areas today. So I want you to know these kneeling benches are open if you just want to come and pray. Just to come and just to lay, say, Lord, I'm calling out for help. Remind me of your word. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be here to do that. But understand that God is faithful. And even at the times where we wonder, Lord, I don't see how God is saying, trust me. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. Father, you know our frailties. You know that we are weak. And there are times where we doubt, times where we struggle. So, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to your word. Let us echo the words of the psalmist and be mindful 
that you oversee our coming and our going, and you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.